the Word app has been fantastic for me. It goes everywhere I go, whether it's on the way to work or me listening to it while I'm jogging. It's with me everywhere I go. The year in the Word is so easy. Uh, it's quick and it's mobile, so even if you haven't been involved in a group uh, all year, you can jump right in at any time. Good to see you guys. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us uh, right now uh, from an off-site campus or on the internet or one of the venues here in the uh, Long Point campus. We're glad you guys uh, are along also. We want to especially welcome the Asheville campus who is celebrating their 10th anniversary this week with a big party. And so let's welcome them. I know I was... Uh, uh, I was in, on vacation last week in Colorado, and we watched online uh, Bill Reinhardt and the online team do such a good job, and then we went to church uh, at one of our ARC church plants in Steamboat Springs, Colorado. It's great to be back. Got back last night. Colorado's a beautiful place. That's where Debbie and I grew up, but there's one thing Colorado does not have that we have here, and that's humidity, and so we did okay without the humidity for just a few days anyway. But uh, it's good to be here. Glad you guys are here. I um, occasionally get to introduce you uh, to one of my friends. And today I want to introduce you to a friend that you're going to love. Some of you will be a reintroduction. But uh, Darren Patrick and I met about, I was thinking about this, Darren, how long ago was it? 15 years, something like that. We were in New York City uh, at a gathering of church planting entrepreneurs. It was people who just really had a vision for planning multiple churches, and I met Darren and, and his friend Mark Driscoll there, and they had uh, just started a few years before Acts 29, which was a church planning organization. We had just started the ARC, and I think we had planted, um, I don't know, just three or four churches at that particular time. We were looking for models and how do we do this, and and by the way, this, this, uh, this fall, we're going to plant our 700th church. In fact, I think there are 90-some churches. There's 90-some churches on the, on the books for this fall, which is absolutely incredible. And I think one of our church planners is here today. I just got a text from him, one of our church planners from the Los Angeles area. But anyway, so, so I, met, I met Darren. We became friends. Uh, Darren planted the Journey Church in St. Louis, uh, great church, grew to several thousand people, and just right around the corner from where my father pastored for about uh, 10 years. And over time, he asked me to uh, consider being his pastor, and so we've been in that relationship for a while. Darren, uh, very gifted, written several books, um, a, a series, The Dude's Guide to Manhood, The Dude's Guide to Marriage. I wrote one called Church Planter that a lot of church planters use popular speaker on the conference circuit, uh, chaplain for the St. Louis Cardinals, unfortunately, uh, although he did get me tickets several times to see the Cubs, and I think the Cubs won almost every time uh, against the Cardinals. Uh, Darren called me about a year and a half ago, and through tears, he confessed to me uh, that he had sinned. Before I go any further, uh, anybody here ever sinned? Okay, you guys are so holy back here in that section. You don't belong here, okay? You're in the wrong church. We all sin, the Bible says. We all sin and come short of the glory of God. 
You know, we laugh about it a little bit, but it's not a laughing matter, to be honest with you, because sin is what throws the sand in the, into the gears of our destiny. And, uh, and Darren, Darren called me, and, and uh, the, the consequences are greater for those of us who do this, who are in leadership. And uh, the journey elders at the church graciously um, offered to support him and his family, uh, asked him to sit down from public ministry for a season of introspection and repentance. Now, you say, what did Darren do? Well, that's really none of your business, but I'll tell you a little bit. What he didn't do is he didn't murder anybody, he didn't commit adultery, he didn't assault anybody as far as I know. But there were some patterns of, of sin, and I think in Darren over this past year, we've kind of located that a lot of it came out of anger. Have you ever sinned in your anger? Sometimes it's stuffed in there and we don't know why. And Oftentimes the why is harder than the what. And the why is pretty complicated. And, and his why, I think, grew out of uh, um, an abandonment by his father and by many over the years that he looked to it in that role and, and he uh, didn't handle it in ways that he should and hurt people around him in his words and in his actions. And so for the last year, Darren submitted himself to a grueling, grueling process. Um, in fact, as, as we were involved in this, and, and I now lead that process, um, I, I told Debbie, I said, I don't know if I, I could do this. I really don't know if I'd be willing to put in the time to dig as deep as, as Darren has really into his soul. Uh, prolonged counseling with world-class counselors, seasons of repentance for the effects of his sin, times of confrontation, by seasoned pastors, and, and then hours of reconciliation meetings with people who he had hurt and who had hurt him over time. Most would have opted out. In fact, I know many pastors who are found in sin or wounded, short-circuited this kind of process. Maybe they're confronted with sin and they go to a, you know, a few weeks of rehab or maybe an extended sabbatical and just declare themselves whole and they're not really whole. And what happens is, is they minister out of their woundedness. And the Bible tells us that we're all to be broken before the Lord. And there's a difference between brokenness and woundedness. In brokenness, we see our, the significance of our sin and, and we, we're, we're more dependent on the Lord. In woundedness, we just kind of cover over that area of hurt. And how many of you know that hurt people hurt people? And so it's very important that, that we move through uh, to brokenness. And I, I believe that, that Darren has, and at Seacoast and in the ark that we've created, we don't shoot our wounded. We restore them to health. And I've walked with Darren and Amy, and Amy's doing great. Darren's great. The family's good. They're, in fact, they're watching us right now from St. Louis. I've walked with them through this process, and we believe that he's ready to take his next steps in ministry. In fact, I'm announcing today that he and Amy will be joining our Seacoast team in a part-time role in fact, we're giving him a title of pastor at large. What does that mean? I don't know, but it's gonna be really, really good. Um, they're gonna stay in St. Louis for the time being, uh, and we don't know what the future holds, but I know that he'll be a part of our teaching team. He he's has been uh, behind the scenes uh, helping our young uh, um, teachers. How many of you love the teachers that we have here? I mean, they do, I do. They do a great job, and, uh, and Darren, 
uh, has a doctorate in uh, biblical preaching, and he's been helping behind the scenes a little bit, and uh, they'll be helping us with the ark, and, and uh, most of all, I want Darren and Amy and the family to receive the love and encouragement that this church and this team uh, can provide. And uh, because I truly believe that Darren Patrick 2.0 has much less left to give this church and to the body of Christ as a whole. And so this is kind of his, his coming out. He hasn't preached in a year and a half. And I told him, I said, Darren, I know there's a lot of stuff there, but just give us about 30 minutes, okay? That's about all we can handle here. And uh, I'm excited. The message today is incredible. I want you to give a great big Seacoast welcome to Darren Patrick as he comes and preaches to us today. We did that. <laughs> Love you, man. Thank you so much. It's good to be with my family, and I feel like you guys have been that for a while as I've come in various times, but especially now. Um, uh, Greg is my pastor. I am so grateful to be submitted to his leadership and to continue to heal and um, to serve, serve you guys uh, using the gifts God has given me. So we're gonna open the Bible and uh, see what God has to say to us. So let's pray and we'll do that. Father, uh, thank you for second chances. I thank you that you are a God who loves to mend us and, and he heal us, Lord. And so we're here um, because we need that from you. And we thank you that you're a God um, who cares and who loves. And so, Lord, as we open your word, would you speak to us? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the hardest thing God asks us to do is to wait. And there's nothing more confusing, nothing more painful, nothing more troubling than waiting on God because what happens when we wait is it exposes our unbelief, it reveals our bitterness, it magnifies our weakness, it amplifies our pain. But, he, but here's the good news. Waiting on God, waiting on God strengthens us like nothing else. A couple months ago, we were flying back from Charleston, and at the time when we flew, there were no direct flights. Thank God there are now. Thank you, Southwest Airlines. Um, but we were flying Delta. By the way, you know what Delta stands for? Don't expect luggage to arrive. No, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. Some of you may work for Delta. It's a great airline, it really is. I've gotten a lot better, actually, uh, over the years, in my opinion. Good, good. So if you're gonna fly from Charleston pretty much anywhere and you gotta connect, you're either gonna go through Charlotte or where? Atlanta, okay, so we're in the Atlanta airport. It's late, we're hungry, um, and restaurants and airports start closing a little early, so there weren't a ton of options. We go to this place, and the food's fine. We eat, everything's good. Uh, we get home about 10.30, um, in bed pretty quickly, and about 2 a.m., the phone starts ringing. And um, it's nature calling me. And so, and nature began to call the rest of the evening and the rest of the week, multiple phone calls, if you're tracking with my metaphor. And uh, about a weekend, my wife's like, you have to call your GI doctor. I had some you know, issues there, and so I have a GI doctor. He's like, yeah, I'd love to have you. Uh, we can get you in by the end of the summer. Um, and my wife's like, no, bad idea. We're going to the emergency room. 
I'm like, I don't need to go to the emergency room. I'm fine. She goes, we're going right now. Go get your stuff. I'm like, I'm fine. She's like, you've lost 15 pounds this week. True story. You, you asked for lunch the other day in the bathroom. This is bad. We got to do something. <laughs> so we go to the ER, which you know what a joy that is. And so you're waiting. I'm literally waiting for one doctor for whatever room, reason. They put me in three different rooms. By the time the doctor gets in there, I'm thinking he might need a doctor because I'm going to lay hands on him in a very unbiblical manner. And so... He, but, but it's good, he helps me, and I just was reflecting on that experience as I thought about this message. Uh, even when healing comes, I hate to wait. I hate it. I'd rather do just about anything than wait. When I'm driving, I hate to wait. You ever drive and like, you got multiple lanes, you're on the freeway or whatever, and you start like guessing which line is gonna go first, go quickest? And you literally risk your life. I mean, your head's on a swivel, man, trying to figure out, can I get, can I get? And, and, and you do it at the grocery store too, don't you? You ever do that? You ever look at the lines and go, hmm, thank God for self-service. Whoever created that is gonna have a glorious time in heaven. That's wonderful. <laughs> but even that, like people aren't ready, right? The lady's fumbling around in her purse for a debit card. This guy's got cash. And you're like, cash? Can I even deal with that now? Well, who uses, and you're just, what, which line is the shortest? I, I did it with a rental car um, situation. I'm a preferred member, which is glorious because you've got all these other people who, like cattle, have to go through the little lines, you know, and, and, and they're all lined up. And if you're a preferred member, you just walk to the front of this line over here. And no matter how long these people have been waiting, you get to go first. And I feel so superior to them. <laughs> Look back at them, right? I want you to think for yourself, how much time, how much money, how much energy do you use trying to not wait? And yet, what we see in the scripture over and over and over again is we are to wait on God. Um, that's the message God gives this little obscure prophet who under divine inspiration writes a book in the Bible called Habakkuk, named after himself, and he writes this book before 605 BC when God would judge his people with the Babylonians who would take control of the ancient Middle East. The message to Habakkuk was wait. And Habakkuk's like many of us. We know in our head, wait on the Lord. But in our heart, we are so desperate for God to act. We, we, we know that he's faithful, but we're not experiencing his faithfulness. We, we know that he's good, but we're not feeling his goodness. And this is where Habakkuk is. And this is the burden of waiting. When God would speak to the Old Testament, and, and how many of you have read the Bible more this year, all the campuses, than you ever read in your life? Isn't that awesome? Look at that, look at that, yes because we've got a plan, we've got a structure, we've got a guide, and if you've been reading the Old Testament, you'll see this little preamble, this little phrase, this little introduction to many of the books of the Old Testament prophets. It goes something like this. The word of the Lord, or the oracle of the Lord, or the message of the Lord comes to Micah, Jonah, Habakkuk. And that word for word, or message, or oracle, is the word burden. So when God would speak to his prophet, it was a burden on their souls, and this is an oracle that Habakkuk does not wanna hear. This is a message he does not want to preach. This is a burden he does not want to bear. 
because it's about waiting. Habakkuk was a contemporary of Zephaniah and Jeremiah. These were prophets that God sent to his nation to the southern part of it. The southern part of God's nation was Judah. The northern part was Israel. It was actually all Israel, but sometimes the southern part was called Judah. They were sent to the southern region. And God had essentially set up this idea of leadership in the nation based on three different types of people. There were prophets, there were priests, and there were kings. And these prophets, these priests, these kings were in charge of kind of running the nation. Now the problem was the kings tended to set the spiritual trajectory of a nation. And so there was a lot of bad kings. Uh, a, a lot of uh, disconnected kings and a lot of, and like Manasseh, for instance, bad king. He had a son named Ammon, became the king just a couple years. It was so bad, imagine. It was so bad that they take Manasseh's grandson, Ammon's grandson, Josiah, and make him king at eight years old. If you remember, that's third grade. So, so, Fast forward eight years, he's 16, he just gets his license, he's in the temple, and he finds this scroll, and he opens it up, and it's the first five books of the Bible, called the Pentateuch. And he starts reading it, and his reaction is something like this. Oh, no, because he's comparing God's law with God's people's behavior. And so he reads it to the nation, and the nation actually acknowledges their sin. But like the pattern of the Old Testament, which continues even through this, because the prophets and the priests and the kings were not aligned, spiritual reform never took root. And so God's people, though, seeing their sin, they don't really change. And so there's a leadership gap. And when there's a leadership gap, um, what happens is um, essentially non-leaders fill that gap. You, you see that at work, you see that maybe even your family, and, and, and we certainly see that in the world, that when, when, when non-leaders don't lead, then, or when leaders don't lead, non-leaders fill that vacuum, and the, and the non-leaders that fill the vacuum here were called false prophets, and this, this is the message of the false prophets. Hey, we're God's kids. God's not gonna judge us. God's not gonna you know, bring the hammer. Uh, it doesn't matter how unholy we are. It doesn't matter how self-focused we are. We're good. He would never judge us through other nations. And yet, God gives the opposite message to Habakkuk. And so Habakkuk has this burden. He's, he's called to bring about spiritual reform. And you may not be a prophet or the son of a prophet or work for a non-profit, but God is sending you wherever you go to bring about spiritual reform. Your dysfunctional family, your disconnected neighborhood, right? your difficult work environment. God has put you there. You're not there by accident. He's put you there to bring about spiritual reform. And, and, and how many know families don't change overnight? And work doesn't change overnight? And neighborhoods and cities don't change overnight. So because that's true, we have to what? Wait. Wait. The hardest thing God asks us to do is to wait. It's painful. Now, throughout the Bible, and you've been reading it, right? You, you've seen this phrase, wait on the Lord, wait on God, wait for, 
all over the Bible. Probably the, one of the first verses I learned, my favorite verse about waiting is Isaiah 40, 31. You read the underlined portion when I get to it. They who wait for the Lord shall renew their, they shall mount up with wings like eagles, they shall run and not be weary, they shall walk and not, and not grow faint. So, so do you see the gap here? There's a gap. They, those who wait, renew their strength. You wait, gap, renew your, get your strength renewed. Waiting makes us stronger like nothing else. But there's a gap, right? There's a gap. There's a, there's a, there's a place of tension. Everything is not nice and neat and tidy. Everything is not always clear. And so we're in this gap and we're wondering where is God? That's the gap. Where is God? Why isn't he answering my prayer? What, what is going on? That's the gap. Waiting, renewed strength, insert yourself right there. And so what I wanna do is talk about how you wait. How do you wait? What's it look like? What's your posture? What's your attitude? What's your action? How do you wait? Well, first, let's just jump in. You gotta wait worshipfully. Worshipfully. What do you mean? Well, what I mean is, worship is the key to waiting. Worship is the key to waiting. You say, well, I don't worship. I got drug here. I'm not really into the music. I... Listen, everybody worships. Everybody puts something beside themselves at the center of themselves. All of us make something supreme in our lives, whether you be religious or not. And that thing that you put, that giving of your time, your energy, your affection, your devotion, the thing you think about and daydream about, the, the thing that you sacrifice for, the, 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 the thing that you, that you freak out when it gets rattled, that object of your worship, that is the thing that shapes you. And see, that, this makes worship super messy. I don't know if you've noticed that. This is why we, we love being at this church, right? Because it's okay not to be okay. Right, it, it, it's okay to be in process. And so worship is this like mixture of doubt and faith, it's this mixture of pleasure and pain. And Habakkuk is right in the middle of this in chapter one. And he says um, this phrase that scholars believe is one of the most indicting verses in the entire Bible against God. He's calling God out. Now it doesn't look like it, but let me explain. He says, God, are you not from everlasting? Chapter one, verse 12. I thought, in other words, I thought you were eternal, meaning I thought you were in control, I thought you were good, I thought you were for me, I thought you answered prayer, I thought you cared about your kids, I thought you loved my family more than me, I thought you loved my children more than me. What are you doing? That's what he's saying. Are you not, what, what is going on? Now, he's in the gap. But, but the gap starts to close. He gets a little bit more strengthened as he continues to write, oh Lord, my God, my Holy One. So I don't know if you ever like pray and then realize, okay, I just prayed to God. Like he's God. So he's God, that means, so that's what's happening with Habakkuk right now. He questions God, but he's really kind of going, okay, wait a minute, wait. You're not just a God. You're not just the God. You're my God. You're my God. Okay, so I know all this judgment is happening, but because you're my God, we shall not die. 
It's gonna be okay. It's gonna be good. Friends, this is the process of waiting. God, what are you doing? God, where are you? Wait a minute, I just called you God. I believe who you are, so you're, not, you're for me. It's gonna be okay. I don't know how it's gonna be okay. I don't know when it's gonna be okay, but it's gonna be okay. This is where Habakkuk is in chapter one. But then he kind of talks out of both sides of his mouth because worship is messy. And he, and he begins to realize, oh my gosh, like um, I, I, I love God, but I don't tr trust him right now. Like I, but I would like to trust him, but I, I hope I can trust him. And, and he's in this place, and this is the process of waiting. And so waiting shapes our worship. Some of us struggle in worship because we don't know how to wait. We don't know how to wait. The, the, the old English word for worship is the word worth, shape, which means the object of your worship is what shapes you. So, so, so it, it, it shapes you, it, meaning that it, it, it forms you, it guides you, it, it, and, and, and it, it helps you understand why you're created, who God created you to be. It guides you, it empowers you. Um, what God's called you to do. And, but, but when you don't know how to wait, you, you, you don't know how to worship. But just, but just think about this. When we're asked to wait, what we're really being invited to is to worship. When you're asked to wait, you're being invited to worship. So you say, I'm in a mess. I'm in, I don't know what to do. This is your opportunity to worship. This is the invitation. You're like, I know, but I'm a mess. I know that that's the invitation. Because now you're not dependent on yourself. Because you can't trust yourself. You can't fix it. So what are you gonna do? There's nothing to do but trust God. He has you exactly where he wants you. So that doesn't sound like a good God. I know, Habakkuk's there. Are you not, see, if you're not asking that question, you're not in the gap. But if you're in the gap, you're asking that question. God, where are you? God, how do I do this? Everybody say, while I wait. I'm invited to worship right now, in the mess, in the pain, in the struggle. I can worship. So he's trying to worship in chapter one, and then he does something very unusual in chapter two. He says, I will take my stand at my watch post, station myself on the tower, and look out to see what he will say to me. In the ancient, uh, you know, near uh, Middle East, in agrarian societies, they would build these huge towers. And guys would do shift work, and they would watch, you know, from the towers. What would they watch? They would watch the crops, make sure animals, enemies, you know, thieves were not going to steal the food supply. They would watch the city for business dealings and crime and people breaking into houses and fighting and all that kind of, and they would look outwardly to make sure the enemy's not coming, because if the enemy's coming, we got to sound the alarm and fight. So many times in the Old Testament, uh, God's prophets are referred to as spiritual watchmen, but here, Habakkuk, our guy, actually takes a post. He's doing a shift. And, 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 and essentially what he's saying is, I'm not just watching for danger, I'm waiting for God. I'm going to work, but I'm waiting for God. I'm loving my family, but I'm waiting for God. I, I'm, I'm, I'm driving my kids around, but I'm waiting for God. 
See, he's, as he's working, as he's just being, you know, doing his life, he's waiting. So what does that mean? What does that tell us about waiting? Well, what it tells us about waiting is we wait expectantly. The watchman was waiting for one thing, the third shift guy. He's waiting for what we hope to see today, a glowing orb in the sky that emits heat and light, the sun. He's waiting for the sun, why? Because the sun exposes things. He can see, he can discern, and many times in scripture, God is compared to as the sun, the revealer, the exposer, the one who reliably you know, is there every day, even when you can't see it. He compares the Lord to that. The scriptures say, God is like the sun. So what is he saying? When you're waiting, look for God. Look to the light. Say, it's really dark. I know, I've been there. Look to the light. Look for God. Well, it's so depressing and dark. That's because you're looking at yourself. Look to God. This is what he's telling us. Be expectant. Be confident in God's person. Rest in his timing and his love. Don't give in to this notion that he's not gonna be faithful and good. He is being, you can't see it, I know. But he's not just waiting, listen. He's not just waiting on an answer, which is our great temptation when we're in the gap. We just wanna be fixed. We just wanna be, we just want it over. He's not just waiting for the answer. He's waiting for God. He wants God's face not to just gain from God's hand. And this is what his contemporary, Jeremiah, says in Lamentations. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. What does it mean to wait for him? To the soul who what? Seeks him. In your waiting, you're expectantly looking for God. You're seeking God. And your temptation, and this has been mine over this past year and a half, is to want the answer from God more than God. And when you want the answer from God more than God, the answer will actually take you away from God. So we don't just look for an answer in our waiting, we long for a savior. We wait expectantly for God. Some, some of you are like, okay, great, so you just want me to sit and stare at the sky and wait for God to do something? No, 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 no. Because we also wait actively. Now when some of you hear me say, um, wait, you think, oh good, I don't have to do anything, right? Remember where, where Habakkuk is. He's on the tower. The tower is not gonna watch for itself. Like, like he's gotta go to work. And so he's, 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 he's doing, he's not just sitting there, he's, he's active. I remember after a sermon a few years ago, there was a line of people, which I love to like talk to people after the sermon, um, but sometimes people in line will, are, are there to play stump the pastor. You know what that is? When somebody asks you a question that, um, a th theological, philosophical question that really cannot be answered, and the smartest minds in the world have tried to answer them and have failed, but they expect you right after the sermon to answer it, that was this guy. And I, and I, and I knew some of his friends, and, um, and they were over here to the side uh, talking to some, some single girls in our church, and he, you know, he's talking to me, and I'm asking about himself, and I'm single, I'm you know, going to grad school, and blah, 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 and you know, I'm a philosophy major, I'm like shocking, you know, like uh, asking me this question, and so he, uh, I, 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 I'm like gonna send him websites and emails and help him with his philosophical journey, and, but, I, but I need to talk to other people, so I'm trying to gently 
you know, carefully to like send him on. And so I'm, I'm over there, I'm like, hey, uh, your, your buddies are talking. I know a couple of those, the, the, the girls are really cool. You guys ought to go to dinner or hang out or, or whatever. Like, that'd be great. And he's like, well, I'm just, you know, he goes, yeah, I, I don't want to do that. They're going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I'm just waiting on the Lord. And I'm like, you're single, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm just waiting. I said, why don't you wait where the girls are? I mean, that might help. <laughs> Something to pray about. I mean, I don't know. Like, what? why don't you? And then out of his mouth, nanosecond later, well, God brought Eve to Adam. Uh, it's an interesting proof text for the dating philosophy. So, so what was he doing? What was he doing? He was using waiting on God as an excuse to be passive. And before we judge single, dude, let's look at ourselves, okay? Because some of you have done this with small groups, right? You're like, I, I wanna join, and I was gonna join, but then this happened. I'm just waiting for the right time. I'm waiting on the Lord. As if one day you come home after work and there's a group of 10 people in your house with their Bibles open. If that ever happens, I would like leave immediately and call the police, by the way. <laughs> so there might be a cult trying to start. Um, it's not gonna happen. Darren, I know I need to lose weight. I know I need to get on a diet. I'm just waiting for the right time. This real quick has nothing to do with this term. There is not a right time ever to start a diet. You just have to do it, right? Part of the problem in our waiting is we become so self-focused that we lose perspective. We just can't see. And so we think it just, we kind of close in on ourselves. We get very, we, we have a hard time making decisions. We just kind of get paralyzed almost. Why? Because we're looking at ourselves. See, you wait actively, actually, not when you focus on yourself, but when you serve others. You wait actively when you, when, you, when you serve outwardly. It's like a good waiter who has an appropriate span of care at a restaurant. Sometimes we criticize waiters and waitresses. They get too many tables to care, take care of. It's not their fault, it's the manager's fault. But if appropriate span of care, a good waiter is not like every time you take a sip of water, they're right there pouring more water, or you gotta flag them down to get, like no, 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 they're wait, what, what does a good waiter do? They're waiting to serve. In their waiting, they're serving. This is why you gotta be on a dream team. Some people are like, oh, I don't get anything out of church, and man, this, I didn't like the music today. The problem is, you're not serving anybody. You, you wait by serving. You gotta jump in. You wait by serving outwardly, but this sounds like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth. You also wait by, by resting inwardly. Um, last uh, summer, about a year ago, uh, as a part of my restoration process, I had to go to a monastery, which sounds kind of cool. Thomas Merton started it. If you know anything about Tom, you know, if not, Google it, whatever. Um, he's cool, cool guy. Um, but it was a silent monastery, meaning you don't talk. I kind of like to talk, if you haven't noticed. So I, I'm like here, and like three days, I, I'm not ta I can't talk. And oh, by the way, it's 100 with humidity, and there's no air conditioning where I'm sleeping. Just throw that in there. So I'm not really sleeping, and I can't talk. And I'm about to go crazy. 
because I, I just, I'm sitting there. And such was the experience without the silence of a writer named Sue Kidd. And she was in a monastery and she was reflecting on that experience. She was very restless. She was very, um, you know, curious about why it was so hard for her. You know, writers are typically, typically contemplative people and she struggled. Well, she is watching this monk. Now I want you to picture a monk sitting under a tree. She says, he was sitting there perfectly beneath this tree. There was such reverence in his silhouette, and I love this phrase, such tranquil sturdiness that I paused to watch. He was the picture, this monk, of waiting. Later I sought him out I, and said, I saw you sitting beneath the tree, just sitting there so still. I can't get used to the idea of doing nothing. At those words, the monk broke into a wonderful grin and said, well, there's the problem right there, young lady. You've bought into the cultural myth that while you're waiting, you're doing nothing. Then she says, he took his hands and put them on my shoulders and looked straight into my eyes and said, I want you to hear what I'm about to tell you. And I want you to hear it down to your toes. When you're waiting, you're not doing nothing. You're doing the most important something there is. You're allowing your soul to grow up. If you can never learn to wait, you will never become who God created you to be. So even in our rest, there's activity, right? We wait actively, and it makes us stronger like nothing else. So Habakkuk has challenged God in chapter one, he's challenged God in chapter two, verse one, and now, be careful, I wish God would answer my prayer, be careful, I wish God would just tell me, be careful, because he, he might actually answer your prayer, and he does. The Lord answered me, read the underlined portion, write down the vision. Write down the vision. So this means, in our Bibles, Habakkuk, three chapters, he wrote it down under divine inspiration. Now, you don't get to do that. We're good here. You know what I'm saying? You need to add to the Bible. We got it. It's the canon. We got it. So it's a measurement. Like we, with the, the church for 2,000 years, this is the Bible. We got it. We don't need to do that. But you know what you can do? You can write in a journal. You can write in a journal, you can document what God's saying to you, you can, you can actually like interact in the gap. It will be the most precious words you write in your life if you will do that. Your grandchildren will want to read that. So it's for him, it's for him to go, oh, okay, this is, this is what God's saying. But it's also for God's people. Aren't you glad Habakkuk wrote when he was in the gap? Right? It's for us. You say, how do you know that? Well, so he may run who reads it. Make it plain on tablets, write it down. Why? So he may run who reads. What does he mean, run? Obey, respond. That's what he's saying. God is reminding Habakkuk that when you write things down, it's easy to transmit, it's hard to ignore written communication. Like when you get that bill, for whatever reason, 
It got lost in the mail. It got what? But but you read, you open that up, and it says in big red letters, "Final notice." Right? Tend to pay attention to those things. Um, my wife and I, uh, for years, we've been married, we've been married 24 years. We got married in middle school, but we've been married 24. I'm just kidding. We've been married 24 years, <clears throat> and. Um, we would get into uh, discussions, heated discussions. Some would call them arguments, we would call them heated discussions. And, um, and you know, I kind of talk for a living, so we would get in these arguments, and <clears throat> you know, I've got three points, I've got illustrations, why she's wrong, and you know, it's just not going, for 10 years, like we dealt with this, uh, and, and then finally one day, she's, I, you know, I start my thing, and I'm, you know, counterpoint, and, and she's like, you know, we're not building int- intimacy in these conversations. I'm like, well, that's not the point. The point is somebody to win. <laughs> She's like, that's the problem. She says, what I'm gonna do, I want, uh, we're gonna stop, and I'm gonna send you an email. So we're in the same house. And I go to my computer and I wait. And here comes this email, a couple hours later. And it's her making her points. It's her asking me to consider her point of view. It's her um, coaching me on how... Um, in the future, when we have these heated discussions, it can go better. Changed our marriage. Changed our marriage, because what did I have to do? I had to sit and, and wait and look and read, and I couldn't respond, and I couldn't get my little clever retort. I had to just read it and sit with it. See, when you're waiting, how many, my, just, Show of hands, might be, could be, are waiting on the Lord right now. All the, all, everybody, yeah. Okay, so, so what would happen if you just started writing down your hopes and your dreams and your fears? Wouldn't that be amazing? That would be amazing. And don't put your journal on Facebook. I don't recommend that. But you know what? The people that you're close to, maybe in your small group, maybe your friends, maybe your spouse, maybe your adult children, maybe you could just go, hey, I don't really wanna talk about this, but would you read this? because I wanna be known and I need perspective. Would you just read this? Write it down, that's waiting actively. God continues, verse three. So for still the vision awaits, it's appointed time. It hastens to the end, it will not lie. You with me now, let's read it. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come and not delay. God is reminding Habakkuk that he will judge injustice. If you read Habakkuk, the rest of the chapter, chapter two, what you, will re- what you will see is God judging. Pride, murder, the oppression of marginalized peoples, sexual sin. Now remember, he's in the gap right now. God's saying, you gotta wait, you gotta wait, you gotta wait, but I want you to wait confidently. Some of you right now, are going through abusive, unjust situations. You have been sinned against. It was not your fault. You need to know that God will bring justice. I saw this post a few years ago. My God is a God of mercy who never hates, never judges, and always blesses. I agree with the spirit of that, but I disagree with some of the content. Specifically, never hates. Eye-catching bumper sticker, cool Facebook post, horrible theology. You say, what do you mean? You saying God hates, God, God, God gets angry? Yes, he does. 
Anybody that loves hates when that which they love is threatened or harmed. Why would God be any different? In fact, we get this from God. We get righteous anger from God. Most of the time when we claim righteous anger, it isn't. When God's angry, it's always righteous. So what do you mean? I don't, I don't really like that. We're in the 21st century, man. Like, like, we can't have a God like that. Consider this definition from a favorite writer of mine, Becky Pippert. She says, God's wrath, that's his anger, is not a cranky explosion, but his settled opposition to the cancer, which is eating out the insides of the human race that he loves with his whole being. Justice delayed, friends, is not justice denied. You can wait confidently. You can wait confidently. It may not happen. I hope it does happen in an instant. But you can know that God will bring justice. This past year and a half, I've thought about heaven in, 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 in ways that I've never thought about it. See, when you're in the gap, you wanna get the heck out of here. When you're in the gap, you want Jesus to return tonight, right? Have you thought about um, heaven much? If you're in the gap, you are. Are you prepared? So what do you mean are you prepared? Are you taking harp lessons right now? <laughs> are you going into random mattress stores and laying on them and get, to get ready for the cloud you're gonna be on forever as you play your harp? No. That's not, I don't think that's what, I don't know what we're gonna do in heaven. Here's what I do know, I don't know all the things, but what I do know is we're gonna sing. We're gonna sing. Which is why, you say, why can't we just come, some of you are like, why can't we just come to church and just hear the message and take communion? Because we gotta prepare you guys for heaven. You're gonna sing. We don't want you to suck. We want you, we want you to learn to worship. So Brandon's jumping around on stage, not because he likes to jump. He's trying to engage, right? Because we're gonna do this forever. Here's one of the songs you're gonna sing. Doesn't sound great, but it's gonna be awesome. You ready? <laughs> we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was. Why? For you have taken your great power and you've begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath, your anger came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for the rewarding of your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both great, small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. One day, we will sing of the virtues of God's judgment. One day, we will see his righteous anger was just that, it was righteous. One day, every crooked thing will be made straight, every broken thing will be made whole, all things will be new, all wrongs will be righted, all tears will be wiped away. One day we will not have to wait. And I hope, I hope with all my being, your cancer gets healed. I hope, you, I hope you reconcile with your spouse. I hope the, you have a restored relationship with your adult children. I hope, I hope you get the job promotion. Whatever that you're waiting on, I hope you get it. And we pray that way and believe God and he answers prayer and he cares about that stuff. But if it doesn't happen, if justice doesn't happen, you need to know it will be made right. And so while you wait, you can wait confidently. He will come through. Some of you have seen as you're waiting, 
what I've seen. Unbelief exposed, bitterness revealed. That you want God's answer more than you want God. Some of you are there, if not your friends are. And as we said earlier, when you read something, it's more powerful. When you read something and then say something, it's even more powerful. So we're gonna end that way. I want you to read the blue, the, the, the blue part, I'm gonna read the white part. You ready, let's go. Our hearts, this is me, are distressed. Waiting on God feels like a burden. We get bitter when we have to wait. Lord, help me to quiet my soul and to trust in your goodness to me. Waiting is not a passive activity. Waiting is not laziness. To wait is to engage God and others. Lord, help me to serve you and serve others as I wait. Our culture is a mile wide and an inch deep. We tend to be hurried and shallow. Lord, help me think deeply about who you are and what you are doing. Our temptation is to believe that justice delayed is justice denied. We don't really understand that one day you will make all things right. Lord, help me to believe that you are just and will bring justice. He will. He will. He's promised. And we're in the gap, right? Remember? Between waiting and renewed strength. But the promise is, strength will come as we wait on the Lord. Strength will come. We're gonna run. You're like, man, I can't even crawl. I know. Stretches during this year and a half, I could not even get out of bed. I was so depressed. I know what it's like to be clinically depressed. I know what that's like. To even think about going to brush your teeth is like, I can't do it. Some of you are crawling. I'm telling you, you're gonna run. You're gonna run. Some of you are running. I'm telling you, you're gonna fly. You're gonna fly again. You're gonna soar. It's not over. It's not over. You're in the gap. And God has you exactly where he wants you, dependent on him. Let's pray. Father, help us. Help my brothers and sisters who are in the gap. Oh Lord, would you just, would you just, even now as we respond to you, would you just, with your spirit, would you just let us know that you're with us? If, if you're with us, we can do anything. We can do anything if we know you're with us. So Lord, let us know you're with us, you're for us. We trust you to help us, Lord. We need you. We can't do it on our own. In Jesus' name, amen.